Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. We are joined today by Michael Sarich, the Department of Veterans Affairs FOIA Director. FOIA, or the Freedom of Information Act, was legislation passed by Congress in 1967 that allows private citizens to request the disclosure of information or documents maintained by federal agencies. This spans the entirety of the U.S. government and was established with the intent of fostering accountability and transparency. By law, the U.S. government is obligated to provide requested information assuming it does not break certain regulations, such as the revelation of trade secrets or release of personnel and medical files that do not belong to the requester. The Department of Veterans Affairs stands as the largest of all U.S. civilian agencies and processes one of the most substantial quantity of FOIA requests as a result. VA has been working to modernize and streamline the FOIA process, using new capacities like information sharing and automation to lessen the workload on its FOIA officers and expedite the delivery of requested documents to U.S. citizens. Michael, welcome to the program. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's great to have you. And I want to start out with an opening question, a bit about yourself and what brought you to VA. And that is, as just some background for, for our audience, can you tell us a bit about your career and what brought you to your role as VA's FOIA director? Well, thank, thanks for that. Everyone has uh, different career arcs coming to, to FOIA. Nobody uh, kind of grows up saying, oh, someday I'm going to uh, draw red boxes around things and be, uh, be that guy. But I've had a, a really um, a tremendous opportunity through my career to serve my, my local uh, community and in our country. I kind of started uh, my federal career as an 18-year-old private in basic training in South Carolina and, um, you know, through a lot of opportunities, or, you know, worldwide that the Army pro provides you. You know, I had uh, you know, just a number of those great opportunities. I rejoined um, the federal government in 2011 as a presidential management fellow. I had great opportunities to uh, to work at the Department of Interior at the Bureau of Land Management and then this, the Social Security Administration. Um, and opening came up to uh, kind of come home, if you will, to the Veterans Health Administration and, you know, kind of continue that 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 service. And it's just a fabulous place to work filled with dedicated folks. Couldn't be, couldn't be happier. Probably best career move I made other than actually joining the Army in the first place. Absolutely. And that, that's a pretty interesting trajectory. It's I, I like how you talk about things, you know, circling back and you coming home. And I want to ask a bit more about about FOIA requests specifically, because from my understanding, FOIA requests play a very special and specific place in, you know, U.S. government and civil service and, and kind of public accountability. And can you give a quick rundown on what FOIA requests are and the role they play within, again, U.S. government disclosure and within VA in particular? Um, yeah, sure. So FOIA requests, um, they're kind of the start of a process which enable um, anyone really to have access to federal records. In many ways, it's the beginning of a conversation, you know, with the ultimate goal of doing what the Supreme Court says is eliminating the operations of the federal government. That's what we what we really do. The role that those records can play, though, can be transformative in individuals' lives, in business successes or failures. Um, and sometimes they resonate, you know, far more widely than um, than you think. In fact, we're at the uh, the Outer Banks, and I was reading a book on the Wright brothers, and this predates the FOIA. But essentially, the Wright brothers sent into the Smithsonian Institution a request: Hey, can you give us the records on flight? The uh, the information that you, that you have on flight, Smithsonian sent back, uh, you know, lots of references, and that was the foundational work that enabled the Wright brothers to more or less invent commercial flight. And you know, so you think about about those you know those little opportunities and those moments to to share that information and kind of tell the story of, in our case, in the Veterans Health Administration, of more than 400,000 men and women, you know, working to fulfill Lincoln's pledge to care for him and his widow and orphan who have borne the battle. And it's just a, such a great niche and such a great way to serve. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like VA is doing a lot of work to really modernize the processing of FOIA. And VA's work in modernizing your IT systems in general have involved a lot of collaboration with other, with other agencies, you know, bringing together knowledge and, and partnership. And I'm curious in terms of the FOIA direction, what organizations such as like, let's say NAR or DOD, does VA collaborate with in processing FOIA requests and in providing relevant public disclosure? Sure, there's 119 um, agencies uh, that have major FOIA programs, and then there's subcomponent agencies that, in you know, so we're all over the government, you know, providing this opportunity, and we work directly with NARA's Office of Government uh, Information Services and in their role as the FOIA community's om ombudsman, Melina Simo, pardon me, does a fantastic job over there, and of course the Department of Justice's Office of Information Policy and Bobby Slevian over there, and those are policy discussions and training. But something that it, that I'm really uh, proud of is the FOIA communities come together in the Chief FOIA Officers um, kind of council. And I'm really fortunate to co-chair the Chief FOIA Officers Technology Committee. Um, we have a great committee and we have leaders of 40 programs in that, um, in that committee sharing lessons learned, sharing best practices, providing information and forum for, uh, for other FOIA officers to come in and, and learn and teach us and share, the, share these best practices. So really creating that community of um, collaboration and skills is, has been really transformative for, um, for the FOIA community, in my view. It's just filled with such great people. Absolutely, and it sounds like that collaboration has really been essential for, for driving the, the processing of, of FOIA requests forward. And that, that brings me to my next question, which is roughly about how many individual FOIA requests does VA typically process in a given year, and what areas of interest do they tend to cover? Um, sure, so last year, VHA itself um, did about 15,500 FOIA requests. Um, so keeping in mind, you know, that's, you're talking about, you know, we, we span, you know, over 300 FOIA, uh, process, FOIA officers, 12 time zones, you know, it's a very big, uh, very big operations from Puerto Rico out to the Philippines, and they cover literally every facet of VHA's operations. So the expression in FOIA is usually, if it's interesting, someone's going to FOIA it. You know, if there's um, something that happens, you know, for example, COVID, obviously huge public interest and public need for information that we have to share, you know, in communities, localized, uh, you know, all sorts of local statistics, that folks need, and we worked expeditiously to get that information out. So fortunately, there's a ton of interesting work going on at VHA, so that keeps us uh, fully engaged. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like for, for all of the, again, major federal agencies that, that process FOIA requests, there is typically a certain degree of backlog at any given moment. It's not particular to VA, obviously. It's, it's very common across the US government. And again, it looks like VA has, has worked a lot to modernize the, the FOIA process, and I'm wondering, uh, prior to this work modernizing the FOIA process at VA, approximately how much of a FOIA backlog did even just VHA have at any given moment? Yeah, so so for example, so I've been um, fortunate to be the VHA FOIA director since um, 2018. In 2018, we reported uh, a little over 1,000 backlog requests, 2019, 1,100 backlog requests. Then we were really able to turn the tide through full implementation of some of our commercial off-the-shelf products. We brought that down to 535 in 2020 and then 109 in 2021. Really, it's weird because the way the, the fiscal years fall, it really was about a 14-month 14 14 month, um, effort that brought our backlogs down by about 90%, a little over 90%. So really, we were able to turn, turn, the, turn the tide with the, that, the, that implementation of the technology, and we're able to um, you know, get the, get the buy-in. You know, you get the tools, you get the training, and then you set the aggressive targets. It's a real simple, you know, kind of process, identifying what you need, getting the um, getting the buy-in, 
through alignment to, to implement those training folks and, and really working with people hand in hand to make sure they understand the tools that they have, how they best serve them and how it's going to help, you know, kind of make their jobs easier. And they do the work. It's amazing. Like they've, the dedicated people we have are just simply incredible. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And it's a pretty impressive cutting down on the backlog in such a short time frame as well, which brings me to my next question, which is what technical innovations have you improved at VHA or have you implemented at VHA to better streamline and manage the demands of the FOIA process? What uh, specific processes were put through to really meet these aggressive targets? So it's a combination of both, right? You know, so there's so the technology piece is 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 necessary. There's no question about it. Having a um, you know what you might call a competent system, and we use a commercial off-the-shelf uh, FOIA case processing system, like most agencies do, and that's certainly necessary, right? It's very necessary to have that. It's very necessary for that um, for that tech to to talk and interface with um, you know email systems and, and other things, but it's not sufficient, right? What you really need to do is have the investment in your people. Invest in, investing in them in, in the training and building the relationships, allowing them, you know, that in a decentralized um, manner, everyone leads. So empowering them to lead in their space, but giving them the tools to be successful, much like a coach might draw up a plan, a game plan, you know, or a general manager might, you know, uh, draft the right players. Putting people in a position to win is is kind of what it's all about at, at the, this level, but it's down to the players to execute. And I got to tell you, our players have executed Absolutely. It sounds like, uh, you know, employee training and familiarization with with new capacity has been vital and, and sounds like one of the core components here. And I want to ask about something else that is, again, kind of a cross-governmental thing, speaking of technologies and standards and aspirations. And there's a phrase, if I'm getting correctly, that the U.S. government designates called a high reliability organization or an HRO in terms of FOIA processing. And I'm curious, what qualifies a an HRO and what measures is VA taking or has VA taken to really, really meet these aspirations and standards? Yeah, HRO is a great, um, you know, high reliability organization is a great, um, it's a great term and we're fully committed to the HRO principles and they're really grounded in servant leadership, right? Like, and that's something that we take very seriously. I've been inspired by the the leadership writings of um, Jacob Wolnick and Leif Babin, and you know, in terms of dichotomy of leadership, and you the way you're able to make those all kind of fold in is really, really, um, it's really kind of cool. A lot of the FOIA officers, like a lot of folks in their in in this type of work, feel siloed. They feel like they're you know kind of working in this one silo. Maybe you're in the Philippines, or or I was just out in. Um, at a field office and they felt, you know, we're disconnected, you know, um, or they felt disconnected prior. How do you kind of break those down? And through the HRO lens, you're able to, to, to do that. So things like um, sensitivity operations, and we're speaking speaking about COVID a little bit um, earlier, VHA4 is always looking to lessen our impact on our program offices. So what we do is in things like um, during COVID, we really redoubled our efforts on proactive disclosures. GAO actually came in and did an audit and said, you know, what does your proactive disclosures look like? And we were one of, one of the agencies that they were able to say, hey, you've got a program and policies in place that are actually doing this, that are actually reducing that. So what we would do is we would talk to the program offices and say, hey, if you have this publicly available, let's be able to let's point the requester there and see if that's enough, if we can get them to, to where they need to where they need to be. It's part of our philosophy of targeted requests leading to timely responses, right? So it's it's one of those uh, one of those one of those parts of it. You know, the other tenants are a preoccupation with failure. You know, we're in a decentralized structure. So again, everybody leads. You know, the team understands what they have to do and they understand why. You know, we keep the mission simple, right? Um, 
you know, FOIA officers, they don't wait to act on requests. Um, you know, there's really strong bias for action in, in our program. And again, that's down to the expertise and energy of our FOIA officers. They don't sit back, they get a request, they work actively, um, you know, following the guidance of Bobby Talibian at, at uh, DOJ OIP and Alina Simo at OGIS, all these best practices are kind of, kind of, kind of baked in, you know, and I think, you know, we'll talk about all of them, but one of the most important ones um, is reluctance to simplify in the HOR setting. You know, we take ownership of, of our problems and our challenges. Every, every agency, every program, that it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're going to have challenges. But we take ownership of our problems. And because we take ownership of our problems, we also own our solutions, right? We're able to get that buy-in from, from leadership to, to be able to own our, our solutions by focusing on the root causes and making iterative progress towards our ultimate programmatic goals. And so we've seen a lot of success um, there. Of course, the commitment to resilience and the deference to expertise, uh, you know, you everybody has challenges, right? You know, everything has impacted, you know, um, team members and their families in different ways as we're coming out of the pandemic. You know, bad tech happens, you know, you have problems that you have to work through. You know, maybe an email doesn't go out and you need to make sure that it gets to somebody. Um, so uh, you have a request like, well, I haven't heard from you. Well, okay, there is glitch in the matrix, let's figure it out, you know? Um, so having that open communication is really, really helpful. And, you know, the expertise piece, really a huge, huge amount of credit, you know, goes to the folks at OIP and, and OGIS for providing that forum for FOIA officers to kind of come together and share best practices, share lessons learned, because what's interesting, it seems like no matter what you're doing in the federal government, there's someone else also doing that same thing in the federal government, and you can teach each other things. You know, you can learn. You just have to have that humility that, you know, <laughs> you don't know everything. So if you, if you keep that humble mindset that, there's somebody else doing it, and hey, maybe they're doing it better, and you can learn from them, or maybe you can have something to offer to them too. Then you're in you're in a good shape, and those are all grounded in the servant leadership basis of of high reliability organizations, and really, the emphasis on high reliability organizations in VHA, has, I think, has been transformative and a huge credit to our leadership for bringing that to um, as as a core part of our operations. Absolutely. It sounds like both that knowledge sharing and that human organization has been really vital for driving this forward and again, meeting the, the essential goals of, of modernizing and streamlining the FOIA process. As, as a small adjunct to that, I want to ask a little bit of a technical question, and that is, has VA's increasing uh, digitization of records also helped expedite the process? Because it sounds like VA, again, has undergone a pretty ambitious process over the past decade in particular of digitizing a lot of previously physical records. Has that also helped feed into the process as well? Yeah, on, on at least two fronts. That's a great question, Adam. Really, um, that, that's a great insight. So when FOIA was, um, you know, first enacted and signed in '66, came came into um, being in '67, all the records were paper. And if you wanted something in East Lansing, you just walk up to the desk and say, "Hey, you know, here's my written request. I, I would like this," and you'd get back a couple of pages of things. Right? Increasing digitization means that you can do that from anywhere, which is really helpful. Um, you know, with, with remote work. So we're able to do things on the um, electronically stored information collection we call ESSIC. We're able to kind of go reach in and, and get information on, an, on a new basis, right? We're able to, to move forward, able to, to go in that direction. So that, that digitization makes things much easier um, because now you don't have to, to send like, you don't have to go to East Lansing to get it. They don't have to mail it to DC or something like that or wherever the FOIA officer may be. You know, you can get that. You can get that done then. But on the requester side, this is where it's really impactful for the requester side. Before, when you're doing a search, a reasonable search to retrieve the records responsive to the request, 
you might be limited just to that physical location you were at. People have this vision that we, we all have these ginormous filing cabinets where every record is in, but that's just simply not true, right? Like we have these digital filing cabinets that we have to go out and find things in, but because of increases in technology and the great work at uh, OINT, our Office of Information Technology, you know, working on these uh, pilot projects like ESSEC, we're able to, to start to reach in and, and grab those documents and have a more fulsome response to our requesters, which you know obviously reduces appeals and reduces litigation potential and all of those things. But moreover, meets our mission to illuminate the operations of the federal government, right? That's what the Supreme Court says that we're supposed to be doing here, right? And our leadership uh, from Secretary McDonough down has reaffirmed and continues to reaffirm our commitment to transparency. Uh, the, the Attorney General just uh, came out um, the other week with his FOIA memo and reiterated the administration's commitment and the Department of Justice's commitment to have an open and transparent government. And it's really, that makes it a really exciting place to work, you know, to help tell that story. Yeah, absolutely. It really does sound like that that perfect merging of the digital and increasingly technical sophistication of what you're doing and the obvious, you know, human impact and the essential mission of, of FOIA management. And and this again is is oh maybe more of an abstract question, but I, I'm wondering is as you you know implement this increasingly sophisticated technical process, is it possible that you might increase efficiencies or already have through various forms of automation, like being able to kind of automate the processing aspect of things so it makes it easier for the human, you know, adjudicators at VA? Yeah, that's a great question. That's exactly what we're ultimately working for on the Chief Boy Officers Technology Committee. And also in our in our practices, we work kind of across government, um, looking, you know, at, at the in some ways the AI process, the robotic process automation, and these other in, incredible tools that we have. So at its base, when a FOIA officer is going and doing a line-by-line -line analysis, they're often required to manually redact. And it used to be the case that they would redact with an exacto knife. They would actually cut things out, right? And then our technology um, went leaps and bounds into the land of the Sharpie and the photocopy machine, right? And you know now we're in these electronic systems, but they still often require someone to manually take a mouse and draw you know, a box around things and then apply a, a redaction stamp. Uh, when we are able to use tools uh, like AI tools, which we have on a limited basis now and we're improving and still working on adding more, that takes that repetitive robotic work out and frees the mind, you know, frees the processor, the FOIA officer, rather not the processor, the FOIA officer, to really be thinking holistically about this document. Uh, is there a foreseeable harm in the release? You know, so they can be focused on that instead of necessarily, oh, I got to draw this box, right? So suppose John Smith's name is in there or Jane Smith's name, and that's got they have a personal privacy interest, so you're going to redact that under the B6 principles because there's a foreseeable harm to their privacy. Well, you could put in John Smith and Jane Smith and software will auto tag that to, to redact. And that's where the technology can truly be transformative because a FOIA officer who might be able to do 125 pages or 250 pages of, you know, depending on the record a day, can then, that technology can be a force multiplier. Maybe that they get out 500 pages a day or a thousand pages a day. Now, ultimately, what does that do for the operation? What ultimately that does is it lowers our costs and speeds the response to the requester. So both are, both are happy, right? The requester, the FOIA officer has a much more satisfying job that's not as daunting, and the FOIA requester gets their information quicker and often at a lower price point. Uh, so that's it's good all around. If, um, there's an expression, you know, if it's good for the veteran and it's good for the taxpayer, it's probably the right thing to do at the VA. But likewise, in the FOIA space, if it's good for the FOIA requester and it's good for the taxpayer, it's probably the right thing to do as well. So embracing these this new technologies is almost always good for the taxpayer and good for the requester. 
Absolutely. And it really does sound like, as you'd mentioned, it's making the job both easier and, and more efficient for, you know, the, the adjudicator or the FOIA officer, but is also, you know, improving and facilitating your business lines as well in a way that is, again, a radical increase in efficiency, dollars spent, things like that. So it all sounds incredibly promising. And I want to wrap up with a final question. That's a bit of a broader one, but I'm curious overall, what has VA learned both from its own FOIA modernization and observing the same across other agencies. And what recommendations would you offer other public sector organizations looking to streamline their own FOIA management? Yeah, so that's that's really good. When I first when I first came here four years ago, we implemented you know a model in kind of our modernization. And the first the first piece of that was to make sure that we were aligned with leadership. You know what what are we aligned with? And in FOIA, that's very easy. Our leadership has been consistent in making sure that we fulfill the statutory obligations and more in 5 USC 552, which is the FOIA. So it's very, it, you know, for, so for us, it's a very easy piece to, to, to make sure that we're in full alignment to tell the story of the 400,000 men and women that are doing this every day. Um, so that's great. And plus, we have a great story to tell, right? Like, it doesn't get much better than helping veterans, right? You know, so be able to help a fellow veteran, it's, it doesn't get much better. But then you go through the piece of assessing your operation, you know, and fortunately, um, as I mentioned, uh, Bobby Talibian's shop at OIP has a self-assessment tool, and OGIS, uh, led by Lena Simo, also ha have an assessment tool that we assess our program. And so if you're looking to modernize, it's really good to take these benchmarks from what the people who are supposed to be, um, you know, objectively looking at and rating your programs, what, what do they think is important? And, you know, you, you make it, you, you, you have to moderate, you have to modify it rather to, to make sure it fits yours, and there's a little bit of work that's involved in that, but we did that. And then you have to take those actions. You know, what does it say? And because you're already aligned and because you have a, an independent basis for why you need to do these things, you know, through the independent criteria, it's easy to have that buy-in for the action. And then, as I mentioned, you know, you, you just, you have to go out and get those tools. Um, so for us, um, you know, we started shopping in our own closet first. You know, we had a tool, but we weren't using it. You know, we had this on our desks, you know, this, this FOIA product on our desks, but we weren't using it. So we got full implementation of, of that product, developed, you know, had success with it, and then we're able to build continued, you know, leadership support. It's really important to have those wins. You know, and as another example, when the when GAO came in and audited our proactive disclosures and said we were the agency of the three that they evaluated, we were fortunate enough to be the one that they said that we had the policy and programs in place to address it. Right. So you know, you can keep building capital. That might not have happened if we had just come in and said, oh, we're just going to worry about backlogs, or we're just going to worry about this. But because we took a holistic approach at our program and said, you know, these are the areas that we need to, to make sure that we're focusing on, these things that, that are measured, you know, we were in good shape. And then that continues to build leadership trust, you know, the, the confidence that we know what we're doing and, you know, the results um, build and also inspires the troops, right? And people like to, um, you know, they see these successes and it makes them feel good about, feel good about their work. And, you know, it, it's, um, you know, this wall this team, that we have is able to, to go for aggressive targets and continue to be uh, successful. So we've learned that and, and, and lots and lots more. Uh, and we've learned lots from the, um, from the Chief Officer Technology Committee. We've learned, uh, you know, my co-chair Eric Stein, incredible. Learned a lot from those folks on, um, on modernization. And, you know, we clearly have ways to go, right? So it's not that we, we're not, uh, you know, crossing a finish line saying that we've done, you know, we've recreated the wheel and we're, we're incredible. It's an iterative process that we continue to grow with. And it's a it's a long journey, but we've got an incredible team to, to journey alongside with. Um, you know, and so in terms of talking with other FOIA program leaders, 
I usually try to offer too much advice without doing a lot of listening first, to be honest. Um, you know, everyone's dealing with different record types, different program st structures, different levels of leadership support. You know, the only thing I would tell, tell them, though, is to, to own their challenges and problems. You know, if you can take ownership, you know, not, not you know, don't make excuses, take ownership and don't blame other people. You know, own what you have because you've been put in this great position to lead a program. I mean, it's a, such a huge honor to be able to, to lead other fellow uh, federal employees who are dedicated in their mission. So just from the, just from the start, you, you've got a better gig than I'd say pretty much anybody else going, going on because you've been entrusted with this, this great honor to, to be able to, to lead these folks. So, you know, you, when you work with that and own those problems, the people that are closest to the work are going to tend to have the best solution. So, you know, even coming from outside until I've done a lot of listening, you know, it's really not uh, my place, but, you know, I found that you, you know, your my team solutions, the people that are closest to the work, are going to work for for the, for our program if we take ownership, if we invest in the relationships. You know, we check our egos, make sure that we're humble when we approach it. We simplify our mission. Um, you know, and you just empower your people to lead. And the success that we've had is easily um, repeatable all across the the, the federal family. And uh, I would wish them wish them good luck and know that they have they have a friend at VHA and that uh, we're always willing to help. Absolutely. That sounds like a really strong template for, for modernizing as a whole. Again, Mike, I just want to thank you so much for coming out of the program. It's been a pleasure. Adam, thank you so much. And a huge thank you to all of the FOIA officers all across the federal family, and especially the ones we have at VHA. You guys are the best in the business, and which I continue to be grateful for your incredible work. Thank you, guys. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.